Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. Welcome back to Financial Coaches Network, the podcast. Emily, what are we talking about this week? This is another really exciting topic. I seem to pick the really exciting one. We're going to talk about whole life insurance and mm-hmm. when does this make sense? And this kind of sparked, I wanted to talk about it because I've been studying for the AFC exam and have really gotten deep down dirty into all the different life, poli- you know, um, life insurance policies. Mm-hmm. And kind of got to the end of it and I thought, I can think of a few instances where you would want whole life insurance, but for the most part, I just didn't quite get it. Like, why would you have all this money sitting there that you can borrow? But then if you borrow, then it reduces the premium that gets paid. And so so it's like money that just disappears. It seemed kind of strange to me. And so I wanted to talk through those scenarios because there are some scenarios when you would want whole life insurance. And so I want to talk through those because I think a lot of people believe that just they don't understand it. So they just say whole life is bad. And I would never recommend that. And if I have a client that has it, I'd tell them to cash it out. And that's not necessarily the right solution. Yeah. So I really wanted to tackle this one because I thought it was important, even though it sounds kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It'll get exciting when people start yelling at us uh, when they disagree with. Right. Right. Yes. Because there are instances when it does make sense. And I want to make sure we, that's the main reason I want to talk today, but I think, do we need to give a little background around the differences, like just in general, how whole life works, just in case people don't have that? I don't want to spend too much time on that. I'll give a very quick overview of the three. For FCN members, there is a whole life insurance thing that goes into a little more detail on it. So in the Knowledge Center, you you can look into that. But a very quick overview of it is term insurance is sort of the plain vanilla insurance. I'm worried that I might die within the next 20 years and I want to protect that 20 year period or five or 10 or whatever. And so you're going to pay a premium for that. Now, originally it was effectively on an annual basis. And so your premium went up every year. That made it more difficult in the later years, but much easier in the earlier years to afford it. Then they came out with level term where the premium stays the same throughout the entire period. Uh, there's also a type of now. That's what you see now typically, right? It's a very con- yeah, that's the most common thing because of the anxiety people have about insurance premiums going up, right? Yeah, that's um, a valid concern. Yeah. And then there's another option of you're going to pay a premium and that premium will go up at a set rate say 3% for inflation. So there's a few insurance companies that have that type of thing where it does start off low, but it's not going to go to it to whatever number in the future. You know what that number is going to be and it's going to increase at a consistent rate. Then you've got whole life and whole life. This is surprising to many people. The underlying insurance is term insurance. 
it's one year term insurance. <laughs> right. right. It's the same thing. But yeah. But you pay extra premiums and those premiums are put into a savings account. And that savings account then pays the increasing cost of the insurance. That also actually lowers the cost of the insurance because that savings account is uh, offset against the uh, death benefit. So you have a $100,000 death benefit. If there's $20,000 in um, in savings, right, in the, in the cash value of the policy, then the actual insurance purchase that year is only $80,000. And okay. so um, there's a couple of different functions that cause that premium to remain the same, even though it, it goes all the way into your 90s when you're likely to die, <laughs> right? Um, and then the third, the third type is universal. Uh, universal, you can think of as exactly the same thing as whole, but instead of it going into a savings account where it's a guaranteed rate, it is put into an account that is then tied to investments. And so the credits that you get are not based on a guaranteed rate, but based on how those underlying investments do in the real world. Um, you're not actually getting the investments. You're not investing in the investments. They're tying the credits to how those investments are moving, but it's still the insurance company paying the credits, right? So, it, okay. Okay. Yeah. so it's like investing, but it's not right. exactly. And some of them, you choose the investments. That goes, yeah. so, I've, got, um, I've got this, this chart that I created for studying and there's, there's all these different kinds. You're, you're making it simple. <laughs> so there, those are the three, like, you can think of those as the three chassis, right? right. Okay. Like, a, like a, a truck chassis, a mid-sized sedan chassis, and a small sedan chassis, right? Okay. On top of that truck, on that top of that truck chassis, they can build uh, a large pickup truck, a small pickup truck, an SUV, a van, right? right? And so, you know, the the underlying functioning is about that, but there are tons of permutations of like you have that little chart um, but you can tie each one of those things in that chart back to one of those three things yes yes right yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah you can think of that as like the first layer of difference okay um so those are the three right and that's really the functioning of of the basics of the functioning of how they function. And I think that's sufficient detail to get into for the purposes of our discussion. Yeah, today. I think so. I don't want to do too much around that because we've already has a question that's it's a very generic question. Not not right. that I'm, Nancy, not that I'm saying you're generic generic question, but I'm hoping that we'll answer your question through the course of our conversation today. So she yes. just asked, I'm 50. Should I invest in whole or term? And I mean, to me, it's like there's so many more questions that you need to answer before you can just say, it's not about age, right? If there's a whole bunch of other things yeah. you should consider. So should we talk about the cons of whole life or would you rather just start talking about instance, like reasons why you would want whole life, why you consider it? I mean, we can talk about the cons of whole life, you know, um, but the, the cons and the reasons why you would consider it are the same. Right. So let's right? just dive into why you consider it. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So when we look at whole life, there are two primary reasons why you would use whole life. Um, 
You know, when you say whole life, do you mean whole life or variable depending on? So uni- a universal policy, or universal, um, yeah. because there's variable fixed and variable, you know, but right. So, so that's, that's part of that chassis, that building on the chassis. Yeah. Um, the universal policy is, um, it, we're going to, we'll stick with whole, but we'll, but a lot of these things will apply to universal as well. Right. And, you know, there's, there's a few different categories of the reasons why you would do it. The, the most fundamental underlying cat category and uh, Nancy, I'm going to answer your question a bunch of different ways, and I want you to give follow-up information uh, as you go through it, and we can use you as a little case study if you'd like. <laughs> so uh, the, the fundamental reason is that you would use whole life, or at least the first thing that you look at, is do you have a temporary or do you have a permanent need for insurance, right? That is, and this is the same for universal. Right. Universal and whole life are permanent insurances. So if you have a permanent need for insurance, then you need, in other words, if you have a need for insurance that doesn't end at some specific date in the future, but instead ends when you die, regardless of when you die. Right. That's that's the concept of permanent. Right. The permanence within the need. Right. And when would you want when would you need? So there's a bunch of situations that you might need that for. So one of them is to avoid going to jail because of contempt of court. Now, I'm being a little bit facetious and a little bit (laughs) ridiculous with this, right? No one's going to throw someone in jail for doing this, but you will get in trouble with the judge. If, for example, we had a pension that didn't allow for ex-spousal benefits, right? It was on a contract. And during a divorce... The judge says in order to equalize this pension, a life insurance policy is needed to provide for, right? Because and it would be a little more complex than that, than what I'm, I'm giving a simplified version of how this might happen, right? Because we're equalizing things at retirement and there's no guaranteed date of when that is going to happen, the judge is likely to require it to be a whole life policy okay. or a universal policy. And so if you get a term, you have violated a court order in that scenario, right? Right. Now, is this going to be something that every divorce is going to have? No, this is going to be for very specific situations where this is necessary. Another example is business partners, right? If If one partner is expected to buy out the other, we need to make sure that in that agreement, that that agreement is funded. Right. And business partnerships don't have an expiration date on them, right? We don't know a date in the future that's going to happen. People say, well, what if you dissolve the business? Then cancel the policy, (laughs) right? That's how you solve that problem. Um, And so that would be another example. Another example of when you'd want to use it is for the purposes of, um, of tax management, right? Now, There are two extremes when it comes to the taxation around insurance. The first extreme is insurance is this wonderful tax management tool that allows you to have the same benefits as uh, any other retirement account, right? Um, And so, you know, know, and so they basically pitch it that way. Um, Absolutely not true. (laughs) 
right? When the money comes out, you're going to pay, um, you're going to pay uh, uh, taxes on the profits that were made within that policy. So any growth in the policy, taxes will be paid on it. Uh, but it does avoid taxation with the growth of those profits, and that the avoidance of taxation may be important from a tax management standpoint. Um, and so if you have run out of all of your other tax uh, tax sheltered accounts, right? Um, insurance can be a really good uh, option. Now, it's nowhere near as good as a Roth or a traditional retirement account. It's nowhere near as good as an HSA. It's nowhere near as good as a 529 for the purposes of you know funding your children uh, tax-wise. But it's a heck of a lot better than sticking into a savings account and paying interest uh, taxes on the interest every year. So if you if you're wealthy, you have high income, different combinations of that, then this could be something that is another yeah. option. It's another option essentially. Yeah, so it's also used in executive compensation. You know, high income compensation insurance does a number of different things. The function of it does a number of different things that provides protection to the individual that if the company goes out of business, they're still going to get their deferred compensation, right? At the same time, the structure of the insurance is such that if you do it correctly, it doesn't uh, result in taxable income to them. So we can do a lot of things with whole life and universal life that you cannot do with term. It's just not possible to do those, those strategies. Can we go kind of just back to the original statement you made, which is, oh gosh, what was it now? But the, the whole reason you get, you get life insurance in the first place, which is to provide for someone when you die, right? To replace mm -hmm. income, to help provide for them, whatever, whatever, you know, there's a whole calculation around that too in the AFC exam. <laughs> so for whole life, that could be mm -hmm. beneficial for somebody that has a family member that depends on them for life, right? So it could be a child with a disability. It could be a mm -hmm. parent with a disability, whatever yeah. it is. But that's another instance that I thought of that would be. Yeah, definitely. Parent parent with disabilities, yeah, that's absolutely a permanent need, right? If you have a child with disabilities because they're going to have that disability until the day you die. Yeah. Um, now that doesn't mean that you have to use insurance for that, right? We can use retirement accounts, right? right. So it, it's, it's not saying that that's the only tool that's possible. But depending on the circumstances, it may be the most appropriate. Well, and, and, and that's the argument a lot of people make of why you do term and not whole life is that the discipline, you don't need the discipline, right? Because you've signed up for it. You're, you have to pay it, right? Well, you have to, but you pay it automatically versus being in control of the savings for retirement. You mean with universal versus whole? No, just even saying light, just um, term versus whole. Oh, a term and then invest the difference. So invest the difference. Yeah. Because that's yeah. the argument, right? Is you should invest the difference. You'll make more money. Yes, but do you have the discipline to invest the difference? Yeah. Are you going to? And, right. Yeah. And in this case, if you have a dependent that is going to need, you know, some money when you die, then, mm -hmm. and you don't have that discipline, then whole life is a good, good option for you. Yeah. And everyone says, well, everyone should be able to do that. Yeah. Everyone should also clean their toilet more often than they do. Everyone should also make their bed in the morning more often than they do. Right. You can floss every day. Floss every day. Right. Yeah. There's lots of things that you should do. Not everyone, you personally, whoever's listening to this, you personally should do that you do not do. 
you do yeah. not exercise as much as you should unless you are one of those crazy athlete people, right? Yeah. People, you know, we all have things that we should do that we don't do as often as we should. Um, I have two more actually cases that I mm-hmm. thought of. One, yeah. one, and it's one because I know somebody that did this. And if you have a lot of wealth and you're worried about the taxes, your family has yes. to pay taxes on that wealth when you die, that is how you can use whole life for that. So they'll get enough money from the whole, the life insurance policy to be able to pay the taxes on the estate that they, that they yeah. get from you. So that's one. Yeah. Um, so that falls under both the permanent and the tax management side of it. Right. That's true. Right? That's so true. both yeah, permanent need and it's yeah. a tax management thing. So yeah. talk to your CPA, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, oh, good. You asked another question. So, and then the other one was a recent one and it's because um, I think it's the state of Washington. I don't think it's just Seattle. I think it's the state long-term of care, long-term care insurance, which is terribly, it's, it's so expensive now. It's getting worse and worse. Yeah. You can go ahead if you want to finish. What I was yeah. Saying. No. Go, no, go ahead, go ahead. Talk about the state of Washington, and then I'm going to expand it beyond okay. the state of Washington. Yeah. Okay. So I have two family members who live in, um, in Washington, and they passed that law, I think it was two years ago. Mm-hmm. So they, you either get, you have to get long-term care insurance or you get fined. And the fine was pretty expensive. And so they looked at their options and long-term care insurance is also very expensive. And so this is, this is two, one, one of them is um, in their forties and the other one is, I think in her seventies or so, somewhere in there. And so different age ranges, but they all had to get it. And so they looked into, I don't know where they found out about this, but they looked into getting a whole life policy because one of the, yeah. one of the, like, I guess it was a rider on the whole life policy was there's, that, what they call it. I'm not sure, but it was. So there's one that has a, a rider and there's a, there's other policies that are hybrids that oh, okay. are both. So there, there's both one with a rider and others that are specifically built for this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they, I don't know which one they ended up with, but they did end up getting a whole life policy that included long-term care, which did a little check for the government. And so they didn't have to pay that fine. Yeah. Long-term care need is a, a huge component of, um, of this. And depending on your age will depend on what your, what would be the best scenario for you. Right. So, you know, yeah, certain people's age range, the best scenario is to wait, right? Not do anything, not have it. Other people's age range is the best scenario is to put extra money toward retirement, specifically to handle long term care need later in life. Other people, the best scenario is that exact policy that you were talking about. And other people, it's a pure long-term care policy. And there's a group of people that the best scenario is doing some estate planning so that you can qualify for Medicare, right? Okay. Yeah. And, <laughs> you want to expand on that? I know what you mean, but. Yeah. So the long-term care is not covered by Medicare. And so you have to actually become poor right? To get covered uh, under uh, a different program for long-term care. And so there's a lot of planning that needs to go in there so that when that happens, if there's a surviving spouse, that surviving spouse isn't left with nothing, right? 
And, and for some people, all of the insurances are too expensive based on their exact circumstances. And there's no time left and they don't have sufficient funds. So you have to do planning around, um, around going that route. Right. Um, and so that's, those are our, those are our, um, most of the major options, right? There are some other scenarios where a universal policy would be the best, right? So my favorite one for this is, and it's not my favorite because it's, um, it's good. It's my favorite because it, it becomes really obvious why that would make sense. Right. And that is uh, someone who, um, is has had cancer or has a very high risk of cancer and because they've been in remission long enough for whatever reason they can get life insurance now and so they're balancing uh the need for life insurance with the need for investing not knowing am i going to be in remission forever or am i going to am i going to die in 10 years right and a universal policy not as good as putting money into a retirement account, but if you die during a downturn in the market, doesn't leave the family destitute, right? Um, because we don't know when we're actually going to need this pool of money. Okay, so I know somebody exactly in that same position, and I'm going to have a talk with them about that because it's somebody that I love dearly. Yeah. Um, now, unfortunately, oftentimes when you're in this position, it's this would be an unusual circumstance of being able to get the insurance. Right, so they may be limited in. It's in been the, over twenty years, so I would think, yeah, yeah something that kind of case. But yeah. I, I think they'd have to just apply to find out if they can get it. Yeah, and I, I think I misspoke earlier. I said Medicare for long-term care, and then I said again, Medicare doesn't cover long-term care. It's Medicaid for long-term care. Medicare does not cover long-term care. So I said Medicare wrong the first time. I think I did. Wait, say it so, correctly this time. So Medicaid which is what uh, provides for the poor orphans. Like there's a, right. a category, a group of categories of people that does cover long-term care. Okay. Medicare, which is the program for the elderly, does right. not cover long-term care. So, right. So if, if you're wealthy going into your elder years and you end up in a long-term care facility, they will deplete your money until you become poor enough to qualify for Medicaid, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And then the other side that you have to um, realize is, you know, this is something that's that's being felt right now with people in Washington because the state passed a law saying everyone needs to have it, right? And a lot of people are upset with the state at overreaching. No one's mad anymore that states say everyone has to have auto insurance, right? right? Um, and so, you know, the reality is Washington's just a little bit ahead of the curve and identifying that this is a major issue that people are not taking it upon themselves to figure out and manage. Yeah. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying that the state of Washington didn't make mistakes with this because they did, but, um, but it is a very real concern for everyone, not just people in the state of Washington, where the state is forcing you to face the problem. So. Right, because the future is we have a lot of baby boomers getting older, 
and they're going to most a lot of them will be on on long-term care and they probably won't have enough wealth to cover it for yeah a married couple that makes it into their 60s statistically one of them is going to be in long-term care for a period of time right that's just yeah that's just reality is is whole life you'd recommend for somebody who maybe comes from a long line of issues and but longevity yeah so that's one of the reasons why a whole life policy would be really really advisable so that's another reason is you cannot um you can't buy extra term later right you can have riders in a whole life or in your universal allows you to buy more later and so if you know that there is a higher likelihood of at some point in your future not qualifying for more insurance right? Um, that would be a reason to do whole life and intentionally put those writers on right. there, right? Um, this could be, you know, a family history of cancer. Right. But maybe later in life. Yeah. Yeah. And you, um, you're probably, you're, you may, you're going to pay more, right? For the insurance, if you have a family history of cancer, but if you haven't been diagnosed yet, you may be able to find a policy that would allow for that. Right. So th- there's a number of different reasons why you would want to do this, why, why whole life would make sense. And when people say there are no tax benefits to whole life or there are no whatever, it, they're absolutely wrong. They're great tax shelter. They're just nowhere near as good as the life insurance agents that are not, in my opinion, good life insurance agents try to make it out. There are tax benefits and they're, they can be really useful. They're just not as good as some people that heavily mislead with their sales pitches would want you to believe. <laughs> I think that's, that's the problem is, is that it gets, you know, it has a bad reputation because there are these salespeople that I had a client who had, uh, it was a universal policy mm-hmm. and she, she didn't need it. And I, I can't, I know I'm a financial coach. I'm not, I don't, I'm not a specialist yeah. in yeah. That. So I couldn't advise her what to do with it, but I just was like, God, it just didn't seem to make sense for her. She doesn't fit any of those things that we talked about. <clears throat> and so in her case, it didn't make sense. So, but it still was, it was her decision what to do with that. So I just educated and said, you can make up, you know, you can decide what you think is right. But, but like the whole reason she had it is because it was pushed on her by somebody at the base, which makes me even matter. <laughs> Train on our military. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, but the reality is, you know, people in the military have a very real need for life insurance. They do. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, they're, they're, they're young, they're having kids, uh, right. They, they, yeah. Statistics are there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and they, um, and they're in a job that has a, very, 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 very slightly higher than normal chance of dying, right? I mean, when people shoot bullets at you, you know, you're not likely to die, but you know, it's slightly higher being a little facetious there, right? And so the base does need to have life insurance available, right? And and they need to have it where people can um, properly protect their families. Um, Yeah. It's just, you don't, always know whether the life insurance person you're talking to is one of the good people or one of the not so good people. Are they looking after your best interests? And it's, how would they know, especially young, you know, 
And I'm just now, I'm in my 40s. I won't say how old, but I'm in my 40s. And I'm just now really understanding how this You're just works. now in your 40s. So you you, you turned 40 last, uh, last yeah. week. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. This yeah. is a great conversation. I'm really glad that we had this. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it'll help educate people um, to see that there, there is a need for whole life. Um, so don't, don't just discount it immediately. Yeah. And I think that it's really important that we, we stop following dogmatic thinking around these things. Yeah. Whether that's dogmatic thinking in this is always great or dogmatic thinking of this is always bad. Yeah. Um, I had a, uh, I was giving a, a, a flex day, like a teacher in service thing at, at my college um, for faculty and staff at my college on um, retirement. And we were talking about annuities and someone, uh, and I knew this person was going to do this, um, raised <laughs> hand and said, you know, I, I hate annuities and blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, I love annuities. I just hate annuity sales reps, right? And he goes, well, why would you love an annuity? Well, our pension is an annuity. Social security is an annuity, right? And he goes, oh, so you like annuities that we don't pay for. And I said, have you seen your paycheck? You pay for, you pay for that. <laughs> well, you need to look more closely at your paycheck. You're paying for it every single paycheck. <laughs> there is a type of annuity that would allow you to push required minimum distributions out to starting at age 80 or 85. You can't do that with anything else other than this specific thing, right? right? And so they're tools. And you may think, well, why would you need to push it out? Well, many people don't, right? There, there's many people who have no need to push required minimum distributions out. There are other people that do. And the, and the problem is we look at people who pick up a hammer and use that hammer to try and sand a section of their dining room table. And they're telling you, you should use the hammer to, to sand the section of your dining room table, and you should use the hand or hammer to clean the windows on your house, right? Just pound the dirt away from the, from the windows, right? Uh, and so we look at that and we think, oh, hammers are horrible because look at how, you know, these people are just doing this to make money. No, the sales rep was trying to use the tool for a bunch of things that's not really for it doesn't mean the tool is bad. yeah right yeah um, and i think that's a really important thing that we walk into because regardless of whether or not you advise on it because you may or may not be licensed on a particular thing right yeah. um you still want to make sure that when you not just educate but also when you talk with people that that we come at it from a perspective of every tool has a place we need to explore whether this is the right place. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Hopefully it will help. In fact, maybe annuities should be another topic. <laughs> we, just touched on we could go through the whole life insurance repertoire or insurance <laughs> repertoire. Yeah. Yeah. Cause even, I mean, it's her basic question that we never heard more from her, but um, Nancy of Shay Invest. Yeah. So let's go back to, yeah. We didn't even touch on the whole versus term thing really, except in the very beginning, but that's a whole nother discussion to kind of, I guess it's related to it, but yeah. Um, so yeah. My first question was, you know, why are you getting it? Right. Yeah. And, um, but the, I, I do want to say one thing. So uh, the phrasing of the question, should I invest in a whole or term policy? Mm -hmm. That phasing is huge. Phrasing is hugely problematic. Yeah. 
insurance, whether it's term, whole, universal, right, or any, any of the permutations of those three, it is not an investment. You will never see the official documentation calling it an investment because that's not allowed. Insurance is a contract. That's that it is an insurance contract, regardless of the form that it takes. And so you should never invest in insurance. Now, there are some elements of the benefits of investing that certain types of insurance help, right? Can, can also provide you but it is not an investment. It is an insurance contract. It's risk management strategies. And so if we're not primarily using it for risk management and then adding on the other stuff when it makes sense, right? Right. Yeah. Then we're not using it correctly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's a risk management strategy. So we'll leave it at that. We will. That was good. That was a really uh, good conversation. Hopefully it'll help me on my exam. Yes, right? <laughs> I don't know how deep they're going to go on the AFC on that stuff, but... Who knows? They love to give scenarios is what I hear. So yeah, I might give a scenario that was one of the ones that you talked about. So hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Right? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, it also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.